This is Further, a weekly show for the people of Harmony Bible Church where we seek to revisit and expand on Sunday sermons with the goal of growing deeper in biblical truth that transforms our lives. Welcome back to Further. I'm Brenton Grimm, and I'm here with Chris Carr. On Sunday, we heard a message on Romans 2, 17 through 29, and, and that's what, we, what we'll be discussing today. And at the outset today, I'd like to introduce two terms that I think could be helpful in this discussion. One you're likely familiar with is legalism. Essentially, this is where someone uh, trusts that they are justified under God by the way that they keep the law. And the second term is antinomianism. This is kind of the other side of the coin, but has the same root problem as legalism. Antinomianism says, since I'm justified by faith, I'm no longer bound to keep the law. Sometimes these can be in response to the other, um, in cases where if someone is is hurt by legalism in the past, they might find it more comfortable on the antinomian side later. Of course, these are two different ditches that we do not want to fall into. We recognize that the law is not what saves us. In fact, Paul has made it clear that we cannot be saved by it. On the other hand, God's law is perfect, and it's his standard for us. A true Christian should find joy in obeying his law, not to earn favor, but because we already have favor through Christ. And so I think these two terms are important here because it seems to be what Paul is accusing the Jews of in Romans 2. He's saying you live legalistically on the outside while not acknowledging or giving weight to your own sin. And I don't think this is a problem that is unique to first century Jews either, too. Uh, we'll get back to this a, a little later, but first I want to talk a little bit about uh, circumcision and the New Testament sign, uh, baptism. So, Chris, is there a parallel between circumcision and baptism? Absolutely, and I think in many ways it would be appropriate to, wherever we see circumcision in our passage, to just put in New Testament baptism. Okay. We've got to be careful with that because it's not an exact parallel and would need some further consideration. But in many ways, yes, we can we can do that. And so, would it be fair to to continue the point that Paul's making about circumcision that it's only of value if we are uh, if we have a heart that wants to obey? Is that true of baptisms as well? Yes, baptism doesn't actually do anything for us salvifically. Uh, it's simply meant to signify that we we have been saved. And when Paul talks about circumcision only being a value in verse 25, if you obey, what we've got to understand is that really um, it is an obedience that is affected um, by the fact that God has declared us to be obedient, to be righteous in Jesus Christ. So as we've been talking about for several weeks, when we place our faith in Jesus, God credits Jesus's righteousness slash obedience to us. And we, we see in our text that he gives us a new heart and it's a new heart that wants to obey. And so that's where um, baptism becomes valuable because it signifies the internal change that God has brought about by the Holy Spirit in crediting you know, Jesus' righteousness to us, making us right with God, and there, therefore now that we are right with God in Christ, uh, we have a heart that um, 
wants to obey and that will, although not perfectly, o- obey him. Mm. Good. Um, I think I'm possibly inferring this um, from the text, but it seems like one issue that the audience of this letter struggles with is comparing themselves against other people and not comparing themselves against the law. And I, and I think that's something we continue to do today. Um, why do you think that that's our natural tendency? So I do think you're right, Brenton. It's a good observation that uh, the people that Paul is addressing here were comparing others. And I think of the, the passage in uh, Luke 18 where Jesus tells the, the parable between uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector – and you remember that parable, Jesus says there's two men that um, go up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other's tax collector. And the Pharisee stands by himself and, and prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Yeah. And so that's, I think, very much um, in Paul's mind as he's uh, writing our text. And I think it's the same kind of thing, though, that we – regularly do today. I know that I do it um, more often than I really care to admit. And I think it comes down to when we um, compare ourselves to others, and normally we're only going to compare ourselves to others in, in a spiritual sense, probably when when we're doing better than they are, right. or at least most Absolutely. of the time. And uh, by doing better than other people, I think we convince ourselves that that means that we're good. They're they're not as good as we are. We're better than them. So that means that we're we're good with God. And it's just a natural bend of the human sinful heart to um, always look not to God's standard, but to what other people are doing who are not doing it as good as as we are. Yeah, it's a lower bar for us, right? Um, you uh, may remember. Familiar entry. I think pretty much everybody is familiar with this. As one of the slogans we learn early on in life is, "I, I know you are, uh, but what am I?" And that's the comparison game. Yeah, we yep. learn it right uh, away, very, very early um, in life, and we will do it. Most of us, the entirety of our lives, uh, to some degree. And I really think part of the sanctification for, process for us as Christians is to, um, and really, I think what Paul is trying to get to here is we, we got to stop comparing ourselves to others. And recognize that no matter how good we are, we will never meet God's standard. But in the transition Paul's going to get to here at the end of chapter 3 and then really the rest of the letter is that now in Christ, uh, we are good enough and we meet the standard. And because that's true of us, we no longer have to compare ourselves to others. We no longer have to judge others. Um, And um, that just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, Hypocrisy is obviously a big problem in the church, and it always has been. Um, I've been reading uh, R.C. Sproul's commentary on uh, on Romans, and he had a quote from, from there. Uh, he says, We have set a high standard for our behavior within the church, which can be a practical problem. We encourage people to grow in faith and sanctification, but at the same time, we pressure them so that they feel they have to pretend to be more righteous than they actually are. 
And so we, we have high standards, and we should because God has high standards. But how can we at, at Harmony have an environment that, that isn't fake about our sin, where we feel comfortable in being honest with ourselves and others about our struggles? I think it comes down to two key terms, mercy and grace. So one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And as we talked about last fall in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, what that means is that those who have truly received mercy will be merciful. And it really is, again, back to the gospel, that when we understand our position on our own before God and the fact that he has shown us incredible mercy... And as we go back to that over and over again, that makes us merciful people. So we need to have a culture in our church where, in many ways, our first response to people in their sin is is mercy. And then along with mercy, the, the other really side of mercy is, is, is grace. So mercy is where we, we don't get what we deserve, and grace is where we get what we don't deserve. Mm-hmm. And so we, we want to be merciful and we, we not want we don't want to bring the hammer down on people. We don't want to judge them. And then at the same time we want to show them grace. We want to um, we want to show them love. We want to give them compassion. We want to come alongside of them. And so this doesn't mean that we excuse sin. Um, or that we 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 kind of just sweep it under the rug. It's no big deal. That goes back to that antinomianism issue that you were talking about earlier. Um, and in fact, part of um, showing grace to people is actually um, at times um, maybe confronting them with their sin. Certainly, uh, Galatians six one. If you find someone who is trapped in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Uh, so that that certainly is um, certainly needs to be in play and needs to be a consideration. But uh, we really need that culture, not only of, of mercy for sure, but then then grace is, grace as well. It's like we're gonna do what we need to do to come alongside people and to um, just model the grace that God gives us uh, through. Uh, Jesus, and this takes a, a lot of a lot of work, because so many of us at Harmony uh, come from church backgrounds where there's been a lack of mercy and a lack of grace, and so it's something we kind of got to stumble through, um, because in order for people to get comfortable with actually sharing their sins um, and and being open about it, it it. It takes them an experience of of, of mercy and, and grace, and that can be hard for people that can be really tentative about doing so. It is one of the reasons um, that over the last couple of years, I think if people have been paying attention, they've noted that I've shared, uh, shared more about my own kind of personal struggles and, and failures. And one of the reasons I've done that is to hopefully help to, to further a culture where we are, we are a willing to share our, our struggles, but then where we, we, on the other side, when people share those struggles, our response isn't judgment, but is, um, some cases there, but the grace of God go, I, in some cases, I've 
I've been there. Yeah. Um, but regardless, uh, whether you have or haven't been there, um, I'm going to uh, be merciful to, to this person. And my attitude, my bent is going to be one of compassion. And, um, and then out of that mercy, compassion, I'm going to seek to show them grace, which will mean how do I come alongside and help them? Yeah, that's really good. It's a good, it's a good point about you and, and leadership kind of needing to be open and um, real with, with real struggles. Um, and I think that kind of sets a tone for it. I mean, going back to the, um, the legalism and antinomianism, that's, that's neither of those are what we preach here at Harmony, but they're both ditches that are easy to fall into. And so those kind of, those kind of things can happen easily if we don't have a culture that is constantly being vigilant about, um, taking sin seriously while also covering all that with grace. Yeah. And the crazy thing about it is that we normally, um, I shouldn't say normally, but a lot of times people will swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. Mm. And people who come out of legalistic backgrounds um, can easily end up on the antinomianism side. Um, they throw off all yeah. <laughs> kind of um, rules and um, all kind of really just any really mandate or thought that they need to be obedient and they will treat any type of, you know, standards or rules as, as legalistic. They'll mm -hmm. cry that out. And then people who maybe have lived in antinomian lifestyle can also end up being really, really legalistic because they've been convicted that um, things are wrong. Um, and so for them, they've been convicted of it for themselves and then they want to make that same conviction for everybody else. So I'm going to use an example here and, um, maybe this will help, but you take about, take the, the alcohol, uh, issue. Right. Uh, many people from legalistic backgrounds will, um, obviously say that, you know, it's wrong to drink alcohol and we could have maybe... An episode, whole episode on I'm that sure at some point, but um, but then when they come out of legalism, they may come to the conclusion that that's um, certainly not what we find in the scripture that it's prohibited, um, but rather what the Bible would would say things about don't get drunk. Um, but um, what they will do is then um, maybe once they have the freedom. Is that they will go too far with that freedom yeah. and they will also in particular just kind of flaunt it, particularly around people who um, whose conscience may not really allow them uh, to, to, to partake. And so um, they will abuse their freedom. Um, and so I remember years ago I was on a golf course in Singapore <laughs> So, okay. uh, and I was talking with a fellow pastor, a friend of mine, and um, he had come out of a more legalistic background and uh, one where alcohol was prohibited. Uh, and now he um, had found freedom and the church he was a part of, um, they, uh, you know, had freedom uh, to, to partake. And he 
he said to me on the golf course, he says, now, don't you think we, we, we ought to drink because we have this, this freedom. And I was just thinking, well, um, you may be free to do it, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Sure. <laughs> and, and so it can, it actually, what it ends up being is it ends up being, this is crazy to think of, it becomes a legalism on the other side yeah. is that now you're not spiritual unless you do drink. That's yeah. actually, that's actually what he was saying. Yeah. In order to be spiritual, you need to drink. And I'm more spiritual now because I do. And that's just, um, again, swinging the pendulum too far to the yeah. other side. We need to be careful that we're not binding others' consciences on on these issues too. Correct. Okay. Um, as a as a part of your application, uh, you named a few possibilities as to how our hearts may be hardened over time, and even if we have received a new heart, that hardening can still can still happen. Um, I think sometimes it's hard to recognize this in yourself until you take a step back because it can happen so gradually over time. What what would be some indicators to know if our hearts have grown colder in this way? Sure. Uh, hopefully this will be helpful to you. We can list a number of them. And maybe, Brenton, you would have a couple two here to share. I would think um, one of them would, would be a... A, a dwindling desire to uh, be in God's Word, spend time with Him in prayer, to be with God's people, to worship. Um, and I think all of us know that this can go up and down throughout life. There are peaks and there are valleys. And I don't think it's necessarily something to be alarmed with if if that um, if those valleys occur. It's just we don't want them to last for too long. Um, another indication uh, here's one for me would be um, cynicism. You stole mine. <laughs> I stole yours. <laughs> Maybe that's because we've talked about it before, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just. Uh, a lack of hope um, for situations, for um, the world, for people, for ourselves, um, and where we just um, have a have a bent to look at or things from uh, a negative perspective, and always you know looking at what's wrong rather than looking for what's right. I think one we've already talked about is a kind of a critical, judgmental spirit toward other people, organizations, um, church, other churches, uh, sometimes maybe even ourselves. I think that um, hard heart can be where we re- refusing to forgive somebody else and we're holding something in, uh, against other people. Um and so those are the first ones that, that come to mind That's for me. That's a good list. I think, yeah, if I'm being honest, the, the cynicism one has been um, a big one for me, and it, it kind of causes my uh, me to retreat inside of myself, and I'm not um, nearly as outward-focused. Um, and so that, and I think, uh, yeah, you mentioned the critical spirit. That's, that's definitely one of my bends in that time, too, so... 
yeah, those are those are good things to look out for. Yeah, and I think that we probably ought to go to scripture and uh, you can look at the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh and you know are are, are we exhibiting more of the fruit of the spirit and than we are the mm-hmm. fruit of the flesh and and specifically any of those fruit of the flesh things that are just um apparent in our in our lives and I think if we're we're honest with ourselves mm-hmm. and we examine ourselves we will will find that probably at any one point in time there there's some parts of our our heart that are hardened uh, toward the lord yeah and I, I think i've also found that it's it's really easy to rationalize that in your own mind too that um well there's a there's a reason i feel like this and so um one thing that's helpful is going outside of your own mind and talking to someone that knows you well <laughs> and so uh get some actual opinions outside of yourself yeah that's good all right well that's all i have today appreciate it chris um And we'll uh, talk to you next week.